Welcome back to Psychometrics in Public Service. Once again, I'm your professor, Justin Bullock. Um, at this point, you've had one kind of introduction to the course lecture. This will be our first lecture of kind of <clears throat> diving into a lot of the concepts. So today I'm going to lay out the broad picture of psychometrics and how you should be thinking about it, some of the issues to be considering as you're sort of starting to get your feet wet with this topic. And I'd also like to remind those of you that are listening and the students that a lot of this is coming from Michael Furr's Psychometrics text, the third edition. So uh, I am following his structure, uh, adding in some public service examples, of course, and some of my own takes on a few things, but we'll be building from the structure um, that is provided there in the Psychometrics and Introduction text. So I'd like to start by saying that I think at its most broadest and most straightforward level, psychometrics is really about the study of measurement with a particular focus on measuring psychological attributes. And it turns out that those psychological attributes are a little tricky to measure. Um, and in some unique ways that have important implications for public service, public management, and public policy, and have led to this whole field of psychometrics trying to develop better theoretical understandings and applied applications of measuring psychological attributes. Much of the course moving forward will be about the challenges and advances of this study. Before we jump, jump into psychometrics, um, the broader context for this is public service and public management. So as we move forward with this course, I want you to think as broadly as you can about how these psychological tests uh, work to measure psychological attributes and how these tools um, or these tests as, as we're going to refer to them throughout this course uh, might be put to positive use for public service but also be thinking about how to protect from negative uses of, of these psychological tests and we'll get a little bit more into some of the characteristics and components of these psychological tests so you can start thinking more about how that might happen but I want you to have that kind of lens going on in your head of okay how might these psychological tests be used to improve public service improve public management and in what ways might we um, might we need to be leery of how they're used or the ways in which they're used poorly and the potential harms that result as a consequence of that. Okay, so um, let's see here. Um, not only do I want you to think about the how to protect against nefarious uses, um, there's just all kinds of uh, potential positive applications as well. So uh, you know, we'll try to try to strike a balance and and not just focusing on the negative ways in which these things can be used or the positive ways, and really think about it in a broader sort of overall risk framework. Um, so there's a lot here, um, and I think 
the thing to note from the beginning is this, this really impacts uh, a lot of what happens in society, a lot of what has happened to you, uh, different scores on psychological tests, on psychological psychological tests or aptitude tests that are in part psychological. Um, and so, uh, and in particular when it comes to thinking about a, a few aspects of public service, and you can think about uh, government designing tests for people to receive benefits or to receive promotions or to uh, qualify for uh, certain things. Um, so these these will play out, you know, one example that the book uses is driver's licenses. And um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but these tests play out in all sorts of parts of your life. And um, so to keep us moving forward, I'd like to mention um, that a, a quote from the actual textbook on page three that says, this book, and so in large part of this course, is about the important attributes of the instruments that psychologists use to measure psychological attributes and processes. This is important to highlight earlier on um, that we are going to be discussing unobservable psychological attributes. Okay, and so it turns out that you still can't observe a lot of psychological states that we might be interested in. And things such as intelligence, motivation, happiness, knowledge, memory, sincerity, depression, all of these different psychological attributes that we have developed and that we think about and think about how they're related to one another and think about how there we have differences at different points in time and differences across humans and people on these psychological attributes. We can't actually directly observe these things. And to, to know or have any indication of what those actual psychological attributes are that someone actually possesses, we must rely on some observable behavior, something that we can actually see that provides evidence that an unobserved psychological attribute, again, these states of mind, is present or present to some, some degree. So we can't actually observe these things that we care about for uh, measuring psychological attributes. And so we have to take some other evidence. We have to take observable behaviors and measure those and then find... Uh, work through different ways to see if that's a good representation of the psychological assessment, which again, uh, which will be a big bulk of this course. This is one of the specific challenges for psychometrics is, uh, is again, the things that we are motivated in can't be directly measured. And you can think about this in comparison to, th to other physical properties or, or physical states like weight or height that we can uh, that we can measure much more directly. So given that we have to use indirect observable measures to learn things about psych, uh, uh, the psychological attributes, three specific issues arise that are mentioned in your text. The first one, 
is that we are making an inference from an observable behavior to an unobservable psychological attribute. And so we are the, we're making the inference that that's a valid thing to do to some degree. That if we see the behavior of, say, a smile on someone's face, that it's valid, that it's correct in some sense, to say that that person is happy. Now, whether or not that's true, it's a good question. That's a that's an inference someone might make. The second issue that arises is that we need strong theoretical links or a strong theoretical link as to why and how the behavior is linked to the psychological attribute. So if we're going to make the claim that a smile is related to something we can't observe directly, like happiness, why? What is the theoretical story that, that we believe that relates those two things? So you've got to have a, a theoretical link from the observable behavior to the unobserved psychological attribute. And then third, which complicates us all a bit more, is that psychological attributes themselves are theoretic, theoretically constructed. <coughs> they are theoretical constructs. And so we refer to them, since they themselves, things like happiness, or intelligence, or motivation. Since they are themselves theoretical constructs, because we cannot directly observe them, they're also known as hypothetical constructs or latent variables, something that you can't directly observe. So since they are hypothetical constructs or latent variables, we're going to have to come up with what is called an operational definition so that we can measure the psychological attributes to see um, what they might be related to. And so, in this way, we'll have a hypothetical construct like happiness and then provide some operational definition of what we mean by happiness so that we can develop a measure for it. Okay, so, we're going to continue moving on, but at this point, you should begin to have a picture of the idea that psychometrics uses what are known as tests to measure observable behavior to better understand some psychological attribute that cannot be directly observed. So we can't observe these psychological attributes, as I've said multiple times. So we have to take something that we can observe, an observable behavior, and relate it back to the psychological attribute. And the term for the tool with which we do that is called a test or a psychological test. So the next piece we need to talk a little bit about is what is a test? Keeping with the text, um, we will also adopt Kronbach's 1960 definition of a psychological test, which reads as follows, quote, is a systematic, a test is a systematic procedure for comparing the behavior of two or more people, end quote.
The text also highlights that this definition has three important components for thinking about a test. The first is that tests involve behavioral samples of some kind. All right, so we're taking samples of people's behavior. The second is the behavioral samples must be collected in some systematic way. So we have to have some strategies and procedures and some rules for how that behavioral sample is going to be collected. And third, the purpose of the test is to compare the behaviors of two or more persons or one person in multiple contexts. Okay? So tests involve behavioral samples of some kind. The behavioral samples must be collected in some systematic way, <clears throat> which is so that we can use statistics on them usefully. And third, that, that we're comparing two people or more or the same person at multiple in multiple contexts or in multiple contexts or at multiple points in time. These flow from the Cronbach's definition, and they imply a, a few other things that the text mentions as well, which is that tests must be capable of exploring inter, I-N-T-E-R, individual differences, those across people, all right, or of the behavior of the same individual across different circumstances. And this is intra, I-N-T-R-A, individual differences. Essentially, we're comparing the differences either across people or across a person at different points in time. Okay, a few other things to know about tests. They come in a lot of varieties. They have their own attributes, which will end up being kind of the nitty-gritty of what we're looking at here. And so, um, just to kind of start, tests can vary along a number of dimensions. The, the book mentions these. Um, content, like what you're trying to assess. Types of response required, multiple choice, open-ended. Methods to administer them. You can think of old-fashioned pen and paper digitally um, um, with an observer and uh, vocal responses. And they also vary in the, in the purpose of the scores. And one of the dimensions here that's important to note that the text highlights is criterion referenced versus norm referenced. Criterion referenced um, being that you have trying to measure how well you have mastered some criteria, some cutoff with some per percentage understood, whereas norm referenced is comparing across other uh, individuals. And then the as the book highlights, these uh, distinctions get a little bit messy, so don't worry about them too much. They do kind of they are they do have some distinct features and lead to different types of scoring.
So additionally, there are three general attributes of tests that will remain at our focus. Um, and they include the following. The type of information generated by the use of psychological tests. Secondly, the reliability of data from psychological tests. So it's the type of information, how reliable is it, and issues concerning the validity of the data collected from the psychological test. What type of information is being generated, how reliable is that information, and is it valid? And this is the point at which you may begin to think about how this might play out in the public sphere. The book goes on to talk about a few other things, including the history of psychometrics and some of the noted um, infamous aspects of eugenics that's tied to some of the beginning field of psychometrics. Um, and uh, so it covers that. It covers some of the other intellectual thinkers that uh, helped push the for field forward, both psychologically um, um, and statistically. That's it for the text if you want some more details on the history. I'm going to close with some of the challenges to creating good psychological tests and what you, sh which, what you should be thinking of when you're worried about, as you should be, or concerned about um, how to create a good psychological test given some of the um, theoretical aspects of psychological tests that you've just been exposed to in this lecture. The first challenge is the complexity of psychological phenomena. Uh, turns out things like happiness are pretty complex. Things like love are pretty complex. Um, they're complex to measure, they're complex to define, um, and so a lot of the things that we care about that we'd like to know more about motivation, um, are sort of notoriously more, uh, complex to give an operational definition to, and then try to come up with some measures for that. Again, it's different than height and weight. Another challenge is participant reactivity. Um, and this is the idea that when people are being uh, tested, they may respond in ways that damage the validity of the test, um, for example. So uh, you can one example of this is social desirability bias. We'll talk about others. Um, and this is the idea that if you ask someone something personal, that they think there is a socially correct thing to respond then they are likely to respond with the social desirable response rather than their honest response. This is noted um, in trying to understand the utilization of illegal drugs. This is uh, same thing with trying to understand the prevalence of suicide. If you ask someone if they're considering suicide, they may not be honest about that. So this comes up in all kinds of, of public issues.
Third is the biases of those collecting the data. Um, it turns out that uh, people have their own biases and this can come out in how, um, how they administer tests um, and can have an influence on the scores um, and thus complicate the, um, the utility of those tests. Another challenge is composite scores, which is just one to note that we'll come back to, but this is the idea that uh, a lot of the psychological tests that we do have combine other subtests into a composite score, and this has its challenges. Score sensitivity is another issue. Um, this one is, um, for example, if you're trying to understand a mental state that has varying degrees, and uh, the book uses this example, you just give someone the option to say good or bad. You're not really having enough levels in there to notice changes. Uh, something that might be more useful is very good, good, slightly good, you know, something with a little bit more sensitivity to different variations or different gradations in goodness and badness. And another challenge um, for developing good psychological tests is there's just a general lack of awareness of the importance of uh, psychometric information. So even taking it from this course and this lecture and applying it has real challenges um, in the applied world because um, a lot of this information is just not well disseminated. Okay, there's a lot more to come uh, in this series. Um, this didn't cover the whole chapter, but got big chunks of it that worked well for an introduction and an overview of some of the basic concepts of psychometrics and some of the basic threats and challenges that, uh, that are presented that psychometric studies. Our next step in the next lecture, we'll be looking into the challenges and strategies for measuring individual differences. And so you can expect that uh, in the next week. So thank you for following along. Um, and uh, I hope this lecture was informative and useful. And um, again, thanks for following all, all the way along to the end. And I wish you all the best. Thank you.